It's beginning to look a lot like fuck this. Oh, how cute are you? <laughs> I didn't even know you were going there. More, 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 more. Go again. No, I stole that from Tony Award nominee Jennifer Samard. It's not my joke. It's uh, not my joke. That's where we're at. End of 2021. <laughs> we're just stealing jokes and calling them our own. That's right, right. That's where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Ellen Marsh. Hi, Patricia. Oh, my God. You're all the way across the country, girl. I am across the country. I am in California. I'm in my mom's guest bed. I am surrounded by pillows. I'm trying to make a makeshift little studio here for you so that Jennifer doesn't lose her marbles. <laughs> trying to edit this nonsense. You guys, if you want more Ellen and me, join us on the Patreon. Tis the new year. Tis the season to join us on the Patreon, you guys. Every month, you get three full ad-free bonus episodes. We're doing a fourth thing for you once a month. We're going to do like a call-in show or an AMA. We don't know. Honestly, we've just been basically turned the Patreon into like our own little like weird fun house yeah. because we're just like, should we do this? Yeah. Should I know. we do that? <laughs> yeah. It's a random Wednesday. After. We should do our talk show. You know how I always say this isn't a talk show? Once a month, we should do a talk show. I mean, I feel like some people would like that and some people would like turn us <laughs> off and never come back. Well, the point is at the very least, you get three full ad-free bonus episodes. You get ad-free versions of these episodes. You get to be in our best friend circle on Patreon. It's kind of worth it just for that, I think. And it is just really fun. I do feel like a weird sense of calm whenever we're recording the Patreon because I'm like, I know. ah, these people get I- me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Season six, episode nine, Out of the Ashes, tells the story of the disappearance of Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman. Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman are teenage girls joined at the hip. They were very best friends. They both were good students. On Ashley's 16th birthday, Laura breezes out of her house to spend the night with her best friend. She said, I love you, Daddy, and I was expecting her to be home by noon the next day. But before sunrise, the house goes up in flames, and both girls have vanished. The girls literally fell off the face of the earth. There is no clothes, no phone calls, nothing. One family will risk everything to find the girls. If somebody starts shooting at me, then I know I'm in the right place. People can't keep secrets forever. They can't. So, girl, we're starting on December 28th, 1999. We're in Welch, Oklahoma. Do you know that I cannot write the word Oklahoma without the exclamation mark? I mean, do you know what I love about Oklahoma? Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. Oklahoma, where the waving wheat can sure smell sweet when the wind comes right behind the rain. Oh, do you know that I was just writing about this earlier today? I was so invisible in my drama club in high school. Like, I meant so little to the powers that be that in Oklahoma, I was cast as my own sister's husband because they didn't know I was related to her. Oh my God. First of all, I've never heard that story. Number one. Number two, Oklahoma, fun yet very problematic musical. We don't have to talk about it now. You were cat. Did you, did you have to kiss her? No, they had to recast us, but I was like, that's my sister. Oh, I love how they recasted you and they didn't recast. Was it Becca or Sarah? Becca. Oh my God. They're like, we're keeping Becca. She He's a goddamn star. Patrick, <laughs> let's find a place for him. Is there an ascend of the cow we can give him? 
there's no cow in this. Wait, maybe we should put, we can cover him completely up if we add a cow. Someone get a cow. Has anyone done Into the Woods recently? <laughs> get a cow. No, the thing I love about Oklahoma, which I think is fun, is that the initials after every city, you just say, okay. It's like, Tulsa, okay. <laughs> Norman, okay. I love that you say it as the queeniest bottom in your contacts list. I mean, isn't that what it's like? Oklahoma? Someone from Oklahoma, let me know. They're like, where do you live? I live in Tulsa, okay? <laughs> it's Christmas break in rural northeastern Oklahoma. 16-year-old yes. Laura Bible has spent nearly every day with her best friend Ashley Freeman at the Bible's farmhouse. We're meeting Laura and Ashley. They're teenagers. They're best friends. But I just wanted to say it's Christmas break. But I don't think anyone told the director that because in the reenactment, these girls are in like t-shirts and sundresses. Yeah. I was like, maybe Oklahoma's balmy at the holidays. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. First of all, this is a very famous case. I did know yes. this case. But they yeah. keep saying Laura and Ashley. Now, I know that probably doesn't mean anything to you. But for a couple of listeners, people are going to remember that 80s and 90s line of clothes that sort of like English Country woman clothes, Laura Ashley. Did anyone oh. have Laura Ashley dresses when they were little? Did your sisters have Laura Ashley dresses? I don't know, but were English country women chic? That was like a look in the 90s? Yeah, I mean, think about like those long sort of like floral classic dresses with like a doily-like look to them, Laura Ew, Ashley. My sister would never have worn that, not ever. Okay. She well. was the star of our high school production of Oklahoma. She <laughs> just wear some shitty English countryside garb. The next day is Ashley's 16th birthday but she hasn't shown any interest in celebrating. Laura is worried about her best friend. Ever since her brother Shane was killed nearly a year ago, Laura has noticed that Ashley hasn't been herself. You could tell that there was sadness losing your brother. Shane was three years older than Ashley, but uh, they were so close. And so the first person we meet is Lauren Bible, also Bible, good book. <laughs> we meet her... They call them the Bibles, which is a little confusing. So if yeah, you hear, if you hear us referencing that. But we meet Laura's mother, Laureen. Laura and Ashley grew up together. They lived across the street from each other until sixth grade. And then Ashley moved out into the countryside. But they stayed close friends. And Laura has her driver's license and a car. So she drives Ashley everywhere. And Ashley, super responsible kid, her birthday is coming up. She's hoping to get her license and her own car. This girl saved $4,000 for a car working at a convenience store. Right? I was, I was like, like, listen, what? you know I love a money-saving down bitch. You go $4,000 at 16? $4,000 at 16 in the 90s. When I yeah. when I was working in the 90s, I think the most I ever made was like $8 an hour. To say four grand, that's insane. I was telling Lola I used to babysit for $3 an hour, and I remember one day I told a parent, I was like a sneaky snake, and I go, I charge $3.25. And I thought I <laughs> was like getting away with whatever. $4,000, that's a lot of money. Now, I do want to say this does come up later. In the reenactment video, we see her hiding her money in Tupperware and then putting yeah. it into the freezer. Isn't that where you said you hide your money? Didn't you say that once? I don't have any money. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I can't remember. Anyway, but that does come up later. But we meet sweet Papa Jay. You guys, I, I want to put Papa Jay, I want to put him in my back pocket. I want to carry him around in a papoose. He's says she was saving up for In a, a what, girl? A papoose. Okay. A little papoose. Let, what, let's keep our papooses in our pants, okay? okay. No, but Papa Jay says how Laura was saving up for a vehicle. vehicle. <laughs> 
was like, you are the cutest little thing. Laura and Ashley, they're real kids, you know. They love doing hair, makeup, nails. They both were good students, the top 10% of the class. They were very active. Ashley, she played basketball. Laura was a cheerleader. Laura loved cheerleading. She was on the Blue Jackets cheerleading squad, and I got to be a, a ball fanatic kind of because of her. <laughs> so we learned that they were both really good kids. They were both in the top 10% of their class, and then I went, oh, God, they allowed themselves to be photographed with their band instruments. <laughs> oh, one of them so plays the flute, and one of them plays the clarinet, to which I was like, why are we still playing instruments that were invented around the time of Shakespeare? Why I haven't mean, we updated our bands? Do you know what my cousin played in high school? The lute? The the fife. She, <laughs> hands to God, she did fife and drum. Listen, she did fife I, I, and drum. I gotta tell you, I played a fife or two in my high school years. Okay. All right. Okay. You, you workshop that one, baby. Okay. Everybody I laugh. Was in the band. You're so I'm, adorable. I look, I was a total fucking band nerd, but we also learned that Ashley played basketball and Laura was a cheerleader, so they were like the cool kids in the band. I actually think that's really cool because in my high school, the jocks didn't really hang out with the cheerleaders. I think that's really awesome that they were just kind of like inherently themselves and stayed best friends. I think that's adorable. Yeah, absolutely. But they were good kids and Papa Jay talks about how pr- I-, I can't with Papa Jay. Papa Jay I literally know. just like takes my heart out and he does a fife and drum dance on it every time he talks. Ashley is more of a tomboy and develops a passion for hunting. She killed her first deer when she was 12 or 13 years old and she shot her buck deer 100 yards away. In a pinch, Laura could handle the gun, but she didn't mess with them. These are fucking children. Like, we're starting off this episode learning that, like, they're both trying to get their licenses and studying for their tests, and then they take their road test, but they'll let any 14-year-old have a gun. Okay, it's not like an AR-15 or whatever those th- things are. It's like a hunting gun. These are hunting people. You have tell to understand me, that hunting... What? Tell me more about how children should have guns. I want to hear... No, I'm I want more saying, of this. More. Uh, no, no. Oh, my God. Yeah, are, are we dating? Like, are we together? <laughs> You just spin my words. You spin my words. Tell me more words. about how no. kids should be running around with guns. No, I want to know no, your take on this. I'm not saying that, but I have told you my one side of my family is a family of hunters, and they have been hunting since they, It's not our life, but people who are responsible here's hunters. I agree with you. I agree. But if you're a hunter, you're telling me this 12 or 13-year-old killed this deer and then ate every piece of it and then turned the fucking skin into boots? Or did she just leave it in the woods? That's what my family does. My Uncle Rocco presses meat. They get every single, they get the whole, they get everything that they are very, very responsible. Have they heard of grocery stores or do they not have oh. those where Rocco lives? Uh, <laughs> he lives in the Bronx. You've been to his house. <laughs> when Ashley's birthday arrives, she still has no desire to celebrate with a party. Instead, she spends the day with Laura and her mother, Kathy. By the time they got to town, went out to eat, went shopping. It was dark. The girls decide they want to have a sleepover, and they stop in at Laura's house on their way home. And the girls decide they want to do a sleepover at Ashley's house, so they stop at Laura's house around 7, and she asks her dad if she can stay over at Ashley's, and Papa Jay's like, they wanted to have cake and ice cream. Who was I to tell them they couldn't have the cake and ice cream? First of all, great accent, number one. (laughs) Second of all, you put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. He said, cake and ice cream. Ice cream. Right. (laughs) 
So just, he is, I can't. And, you know, she grabbed clothes and said, I love you, daddy. And then on her way out, she bumps into Mama Laureen. And Mama Laureen was like, don't forget, in the morning you have a dentist appointment. She's like, oh, right, right, right. Like, it was all really just like, everyday, normal, benign, and then they say that thing that breaks my heart every single time. Oh, no, she better don't. Oh, no, she... I was like, I actually had that thought today. I was like, is she going to cry when they say this? I bet she is. No, I'm not. I do feel a cry coming on today, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to give you the satisfaction, okay? No, but she says that thing. She says, and that's the last thing we said to her. I just, I I hate it when they say that. It's really sad. And then we're back at the Freeman's trailer, and they're watching a hunting show on TV, to which I said, there's a hunting show? I said hunting show, and then I was like, immediately, I was like, who am I to judge? I watch 90 Day Fiance. I'm trapped. So I can't judge anyone for the television that they watch. A fire in the wood stove warms the room. Hey. At 9.30 p.m., Ashley's boyfriend, Jeremy Hurst, arrives to drop off her birthday present. And that they say at 9.30, Ashley's boyfriend, Jeremy, stops by to drop off her present. To which I said, 9.30 is a little late, Jeremy. No, it's a little late to be dropping by the girlfriend's trailer. You're all in high school. Well, listen, Ashley saved $4,000 by work, and I'll bet Jeremy had a sweet little night job, too. It's true. $4,000? I know. I'm sorry. That's a lot of money. I'll say, if Daisy is that kind of responsible kid when she's Ashley's age, then you get a little leeway. The boyfriend can stop by at 9.30. Yeah, on her birthday. And it all goes to say, also, like, it's all kind of adorable. I mean, it's her 16th birthday. She's not having a big bash. They're not drinking. She's just, like, home with, like, her bestie and family. I actually think it's all really adorable. But then they say... After he, I love they tell us after he leaves, then they have the cake. Jeremy was not invited for cake. Jeremy, yeah. was, he was there to drop off the gift and get the fuck out. Jeremy, that cake <laughs> is for me. Poor Mama Kathy's like, Psst, I didn't get enough cake. I didn't know he was coming. You know Jeremy loves his cake. Psst, pretend like we don't have it. Pretend like we don't have it. No problem, Jeremy. You want more spaghetti? Yeah. Tell him there's no cake. Jeremy is the last known person to see Laura and the Freemans before the girls disappear. I can remember about 2.30 in the morning waking up. Kind of like gut feeling that something's happened, but you don't know what. And then the next thing we know, it's Thursday, December 30th. It's the next morning, 7.30 a.m. They're in Veneta. Okay! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to hang on to that joke. Loreen, who's Laura's mom, had just arrived at her restaurant job where she's a manager. That's a hard job, by the way. Everyone oh. be nice to your restaurant managers. Also, though, as somebody who worked in a restaurant for 10 years of my life, restaurant managers, be nice to your staff. It's a two-way yeah. street, okay? But, I mean, how many restaurant managers did you know, like, slept over in the office because they were the first one there and the last one to leave and they didn't make as much as the servers? My bar manager at Capitol Grill had a fucking cot in the yeah. liquor room. I was like, girl, you care too much about this job. We make vodka yes. sodas. Go yeah. home and see your family. We make vodka sodas and, like, very bloody rare steak. Go <laughs> home and hug your kids and have a bath. Calgon, take me away! Like, you're gonna have a cot in the fucking liquor room? Girl. Ugh, if there's any restaurant Restaurant managers listening, we know you work hard, but they can be grumpy. But you know what? Comes from the top down. Comes from the I top down. I get it, but listen, one more thing to the restaurant managers, then we'll move on. It's okay to cut your bartenders a little early. You don't need all three. Two can handle it. I get they need to be there. Like, the third one's got to be there for the busy time from, like, 6 to 9 or whatever. 9.30, you still got three bartenders. It's too many. Moving on. Sweetheart, you, yeah. honey, you did your time. You okay. worked in service. I feel like this is a little bit more about you and yeah. a little less about Laureen. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So 
within minutes, Loreen getting there, her son calls and says, Mom, the Freeman house where my sister, your daughter, slept last night, that shit is on fire. And in that very moment, a sheriff's deputy walks in, and he's here, and he goes, I asked her to sit down. She refused. I was like, "Uh, excuse me, if you're going to tell me some bad news, I'm going to be standing. Thank you very much, sir. I'm going to be fucking standing where I can swing at someone. You better sit down. I'm fine. I'm fine. (laughs) What? I'm fine. I told the Freeman house was completely destroyed. He says they found one body. I said, well, what about the others? It's a horrible feeling where you don't have any answers. You don't have nothing to tell them. And that's all they know. They found one body not identified at this time. So poor Laureen calls Papa Jay. They get in their vehicle. They rush to the trailer. The fire is out, but and it's obviously all blocked off, and it's all just rubble. And obviously, everyone is just like, where are the fucking girls? Like, where is everybody that was in that trailer last night? Also, like, they're saying there's no more bodies here, and Mama Laureen is like, there's like 30 cops standing around, and this is a 40-acre property. Why is nobody fucking looking in the woods like what is happening well we find out we find out why stuff's not happening a deputy from the craig county sheriff's office approaches the bibles and explains that the investigation won't begin until an agent from the oklahoma state bureau of investigation or osbi can get there and that's because there had been a year-long conflict between the Freemans and the cops. And so the cops were like, we can't begin investing this case until some other agency gets here because yeah. we don't want to be blamed for, like, covering shit up or having there be some kind of conflict. To which I said, I don't yet know what this conflict is about, but could we all grow up and go looking for the missing girls? Could we all put the missing girls first just this once? Just this once? I mean, I see your point, but we'll, we'll oh, find okay, out great. what it is. Guns for all children and don't go looking for the missing people. No, Ellen no, Marsh. no, no, no. Give every two-year-old a handgun. They're great. You are convinced to get me canceled. No, <laughs> Take the credit cards out of the lady's hand and give the children <laughs> guns. Let's go. So says Ellen. Okay, so we get a little hit because Mama Laureen, oh, she is so adorable. She goes, well, they had a little squabble. And a squabble <laughs> is a polite way for Southern people to say that someone done fuck some shit up and we just don't really want to talk about it yet. Nearly a year and a half before the fire, Deputy Troy Messick had gotten a call from Danny Freeman saying his son, Shane, had run away. Deputy Messick tracked down Shane and asked why he left home. So we get a little rewind and we find out why the local sheriff's department's like, we ain't touching this until the OSBI gets here. Bear in mind, we are only getting this story from the cops. We are not getting the story from anybody in the Freeman family. It's only the cops. And the first thing we learn is that this guy, Deputy Troy Mesnick, he's here with us. He's in the episode. A year ago, he got a call from Danny Freeman, who's the dad. He is the dad of Ashley, lives in the trailer that just burned down. And he's telling the cop that his son Shane had run away. Shane is Ashley's brother. So the deputy tracks Shane down. Shane tells the cop he had disobeyed his dad and his dad fucking whipped him and that's why he ran away and the cop two days says to my face he yeah. pulled down his pants and showed yeah. me he bled through his fucking underwear that's how yeah. badly his dad literally beat his ass and so Danny now remember this is Ashley's dad was then charged with endangering a minor so we put that on hold for one second yeah. fast forward four months and Shane Ashley's brother again was found in a stolen car so two deputies go to the scene we have Dave 
David Hayes and Troy Messick. Now, Troy was the deputy that just said he had his butt whipped, okay? And David is not here. Troy is telling us the story. David, who got there first, is not here. Right. Four months later, Shane was spotted in a stolen car on the side of a rural road. Deputies David Hayes and Troy Messick raced to the scene. So then we're at the scene where Shane is with the stolen car and Troy pulls up and goes, wait, where's Shane with the stolen car? And David Hayes goes, I just shot him. So what happened was the the cop that got there first sees Shane in the car and it's like, Shane, get out of the car. He sees that Shane's got a gun and Shane won't get out of the car, won't get out of the car, gets out of the car and points his gun at the cop and the cop kills him. Right. That's when Officer Messick, who's here, that's when he pulls up and finds out that Shane has been shot and killed. Yeah, Troy goes and checks his pulse and he finds out that that deputy, David Hayes, had shot Shane, the freedman's son. So that's sort of like the backstory there. And he's dead. Shane is dead. Shane is dead and this whole altercation was labeled a self-defense. Now, of course, the Freeman family does not agree with this. They filed a wrongful death suit. Now, this is really important to remember. In order to file this wrongful death suit from the day when Shane was killed by that cop, they had one full year to do that. They had one full year to file that suit. Now, in the meantime, Danny, the one who beat his son bloody bum, was acquitted of his charges of endangering a minor. Now, I don't know if that's because the son is now dead, so they're not going to, like, take that to court or whatever. But this motherfucker who beat his son so badly that he bled, like, through his underwear, like, the child abuse of it all is fucking terrifying and crazy. It's very upsetting. But this is why the sheriff's department's like, we see the fire. We know people are missing. I'm not touching this case. Case. Yeah. Y'all, there's someone missing. I'm not touching it. I'm, I'm going to scream. I'm going to yell. But we are going to wait for the OSBI to get here. And so, like, right or wrong, that's what they do. They're like, we have this open case. We have this wrongful death thing. We got a lot of beef and drama with this family. Like, they just don't want to get involved. The Bibles are sick with worry about their daughter, Laura. When Steve Nutter, the OSBI agent assigned to the case, arrives at the scene. Steve Nutter from the OSBI arrives on the scene. Uh, I'm so sorry, sweetheart, sweetheart. Yeah. (laughs) He does not arrive. Oh, okay. okay? Steve Nutter makes an entrance, okay? (laughs) This man looks like a country Liberace, honey. He has got a cowboy hat. He is serving you glitter cowboy realness. Honey, five, six, seven, eight, here comes Steve Nutter, bitch, on the fucking scene. He's going to investigate the shit out of this crime and look flawless while doing it, honey. He does not arrive. He makes an entrance. Tell me you didn't see his outfit. I I just started calling him Nutter Butter. Like, I just have some self-respect with that name, Steve. Listen, Steve is here, honey, and he wants everyone to know it. He's got glasses and a cowboy hat for days. He's about to fuck some shit up. My favorite thing in the world is when you say honey. It's my, he is fucking here, honey. Honey, five, six, seven, eight, Steve Nutter's here. Who do we appreciate? Him with a cowboy fucking hat, bitch. We're going to solve a crime today. Honey! When I arrived, I walked into the bedroom where the remains were located. He sees that the sole body found in the fire is an adult female. The woman was laying on a water bed. That water bed had burst and put out the fire, although she was severely burnt on the back. So they find the female body. She was in a water bed, and the water bed 
burst and put out the yeah. fire. I was like, damn, A, are water beds comfortable? Because I like a firm mattress, honey. I am not here for your water oh. bed. <laughs> wow. She caught, she caught honey ease. She caught honey ease through the airwaves. Look at that, honey. I like a firm mattress. I could never abide a waterbed. You couldn't abide it? Uh-uh, no. You couldn't? I think waterbeds, weren't they like big in like the 80s, 90s? Yes. I, yeah, I could not. I could, I really, honestly, if that boat is a rockin', do not come a knockin'. Absolutely no. not. The coroner, who had arrived to examine the body, updates the Bibles. Coroner said, it's an older woman. She has a wedding band on. Well, Lorene said, well, that's Kathy. Then this is where the coroner is like, she had a wedding ring on. And that's what they're like, okay, well, that was Kathy. So that's the mom. That's yeah. what we know what body that is. So by 3.30, they're like, well, we've seen all we needed to see. We got everything. There's no other bodies. And everyone was like, okay, great. So we have three missing people, but like, maybe that's yeah. good. Maybe right. they got out, right? Yes. So now what? We have Kathy, you know, may she rest. She burned in the fire. We don't know much else, but like, maybe they all escaped. Great. Yeah. And so like, Papa Jay enlists the help of the local ranchers because remember this property is like 40 acres and they right. they scour it on foot and on horseback they find nothing and then Papa Jay and Mama Loreen head to the sheriff's office where they're questioned by the OSBI and they're asking a lot of questions about Danny Freeman the dad and Mom Kathy is like well we weren't close we knew he was involved with drugs everybody knew that and I was like hang on a second you knew that this guy was like a drug dealer, but you're letting your 16-year-old daughter go sleep there? Okay, first of all, it was marijuana. Okay, and I'm I'm with you. We eventually, like in the next sentence, learn we're talking about the pot, which I'm yeah. now uh, familiar with because I did the 20 milligrams of the grass in Seattle with you that one time. Right, you guys, you guys, she is, she is, she is no charlatan here when it comes to the weed. No, but the Bibles, it's still, it's still just funny to say. Mad ups to Jesus. Yeah. But, you know, they're basically... Basically, they, they didn't know and they kept their distance. And, and Mama Lorene, she's not throwing him under the bus. She's not yeah. being shady or whatever. She's just like, I mean, we heard around town. And you know how these small towns are, you know, in OK, yeah. you, know, you hear everything. <laughs> so they're like, maybe there was like some kind of drug deal gone wrong. They but don't know. I wrote, I was like, that's not really a thing with the pot, right, girl? Yeah. What drug yeah. that is for the pot. Yeah. The next morning, Agent Nutter gets a break in the case in the form of some chilling news. I was informed that Kathy Freeman had been shot, and that was the cause of her death. So we knew immediately we had a homicide. A single shotgun blast shattered Kathy's skull. A blood test confirms that she was dead before the fire began. We are told that it, they confirmed it through a blood test, that she was dead before the fire started. I was like, I didn't know blood tests could tell us time of death. Do you do this for a living? <laughs> yes. Like, have you, there is a great, honestly, there's a really, really great podcast I want you to listen to. It's called Serial. Sure. Okay, and great. in Serial, yeah, 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 no, it's it's new. Yeah. Um, in Serial, we find out that like minutes actually met. You know what? Just listen to it and, sure. and come back to me. Yeah. Give me more of your hot takes on true crime. I'd love to hear them. <laughs> And there was more. Our laboratory determined that an accelerant had been used. The fire was not accidental. It had been purposely set. And because they can't find Kathy's husband, Danny becomes the prime suspect. Like, they think he's yeah. out there. And there's all, of course, whenever Ugh. this happens, I mean, I we hear these things, but truly, like, I really can just use my imagination to the amount of stories that swirl. They heard that Danny was spotted in a white pickup truck and he had the girls. There was an idea that he was using the girls for ransom, that he was like, I'll give you these girls if you give me the deputy who shot yeah. my son. So the whole town, 
phone was basically under the impression that Danny had sort of snapped a little bit. But at Can this I point, ask one favor, small town, stop doing this. Stop yeah. inventing fucking rumors. You didn't see the guy driving around town with the girls in a fucking pickup truck. That's not a small towns. Knock it off. You know what the way people go? It's like, well, you know what I heard. I, well, I heard. <laughs> I have never once in my life spread a rumor, honey. I have yeah. never. <laughs> now, there is this part. Do you remember that song in Bedwetter where I heard? Yeah, and yeah, they're, yeah. They're talking about like they're talking about Sarah Silverman's family, and her mom was like sick in bed, and one girl's like, I heard her mom's a vampire. Like you know how that like it's just things just go crazy, right? Yeah. The Bibles return to the burned trailer to search for clues. I told Lorraine, I said, I'm gonna get out and look through these ashes. We're still thinking that Danny had the girls and was holding them hostage. Jay looks down and is shocked by what he sees. So the Bibles, the family, not the book, the Bibles, Nancy drew this shit and decided to like go. insane. They decide to look through the ashes themselves. They go back to the trailer the next morning and like within seconds, Jay, the dad, finds another body. We had been told that the OSBI and the cops had searched that rubble for hours. It's not, it's a trailer. It's not like a 5,000 square foot home. It is all so crazy. I mean, they're horrified. They're like, how did you miss this body? And like Lorraine calls the OSBI and is like, hey, it looks like you missed something. And they're like, (laughs) she's like, did you search? I know. You didn't try hard enough, sis. Like, you don't get a gold star for this. You get a fucking rhombus. Clearly, you didn't try hard enough. But they're also thinking if you missed this body, did you miss the other two bodies? Are the girls actually in here? You guys missed an entire body. What else are you doing? Jay had said, you know, you can't tell me they searched this house and see this body laying here. I apologized. And I said, I've got to secure the scene. And then Troy, the remember Troy Messick, the guy who was at Shane, you know, the whole thing with Shane, apologized. And I was like, you... You apologized? Right. You missed an entire deceased human being? Maureen was like, dude, you said there were no bodies. We just found one in 30 seconds, you fucking pufferfish. Like, how did you miss this body? Soon, OSBI agent Steve Nutter returns to the scene. Deputy Messick show them the remains. It was determined almost immediately that he had been shot in the head, and it was a homicide. Very quickly, we were able to identify that that person was Danny Freeman. And the best is that this guy, Detective Nutterbutter, he's back, and he goes, we determined almost immediately that he had been shot in the head and it was a homicide. And I said, girl, you're playing fast and loose with the definition of the word immediately, girl. Yeah. Like, you missed the body entirely, but then you immediately decided it was a homicide. Yeah. So then, by this time, remember, the Bibles don't know that Kathy had been shot. They don't have that coroner information, so then they're like, oh, and then, by the way, also, let us tell you what we know about Kathy. So here's this poor family. Their daughter their best friends are missing. Both of their parents now they've learned have been killed. Yeah. So Laureen calls Kathy Freeman's mom, Celesta, and Celesta is a down bitch and she doesn't have time for anyone. She goes, well, you know, this all goes back to Shane. So here's the thing. And Celesta, the fact that she's not like a character on Shira, like that's <laughs> Celesta. What kind of name is Celesta in I Oklahoma? Damn, it. girl. Yeah. How much for a tarot reading? But like, <laughs> so Celesta is saying that like, this is where the conspiracy theories like abound. Because she's saying, look, remember how the sheriff's department killed Shane and how they have 
have a year to file that wrongful death suit. Yeah. Well, the reason they haven't done it yet is because it's expensive to get an attorney. They need $5,000 and they only had a week left. And so the theory is Danny, we know he sells the pot. Maybe like he was trying to make a drug deal too fast because they were running out of time to file this wrongful death suit. So he like made a shady drug deal too quickly. It went bad and that person killed them. That's Celeste's Listen, thought. Celeste's a fucking down bitch. I am here for it. All I know is this poor family has lost like three fourths of their family. I know. But then my favorite is like Lorene is like, hi, I don't really care why this happened. Could we find my daughter? It yeah. doesn't matter. The why of this is not important at the moment. It's the where. In case yeah. everybody forgot, it's the where are they? Oh. <laughs> So remember how I explained how that reenactment actor put her $4,000 cash in the Tupperware in the freezer because she was saving money for that car? When they open the freezer and they look, the money was gone. Yeah, Somebody knew the money was there and took it. With Ashley's parents both dead, Ashley's savings gone, and the girls missing, Two scenarios emerge. They say there's two scenarios that emerge here. Either a third party that we don't know is responsible for this, like knew that the $4,000 was there, came and killed them for that money or for the drugs or for whatever. Or the other theory is that the girls had something to do with it. You know, and they're saying maybe, maybe the dad got rough with the mom and shot her and then Ashley shot her dad and then the girls are on the run. And, you know, like we were saying at the beginning, this is a really popular case. Yeah. And there wasn't any answers in this case for a very long time. Yeah. And so like that was a theory that like the girls were out there somewhere. Yeah, and there's all kinds of theories. Now, they launch another massive ground search. Over 500 volunteers show up. That always warms my heart. Nothing happens. So now we're at Friday, January 7th, 2000, and they finally have a memorial for Danny and Kathy Friedman. On Friday, January 7th, 2000, over a week after the fire, a memorial service is held for Danny and Kathy. 400 people are in attendance. Ashley's grandmother continues to believe there is a connection between the local sheriff's office, the murders of Danny and Kathy, and the disappearance of the girls. So Ashley's grandmother, Celesta, is still super sus of the sheriff's office. Don't think she hasn't lost any of her down bitch tendencies. But we do find out that that deputy who shot Shane, Ashley's brother, took a polygraph test. No deceptions, but the results weren't released. Well, they're saying that, like, the results weren't released to the public, but the OSBI is saying those sheriffs are not suspects in the case. We're not going to tell you what the polygraph told us, but based on that, they're not suspects. Yeah. Who knows? Like, I mean... Who fucking knows, you know? Well, I mean, they're basically like, listen, I mean, he gave his word and his word is oak. So carry on with who done it. It wasn't him. Let me tell you that right now. And the thing that's so sad is that the longer these cases go on, the more crazy maybe stories the family has to endure. And this is such torture for the (sighs) family. Then, 18 months after the girls went missing, investigators seem to get a break in the case. There is a family in Ottawa County known as the Glover family. They have quite a criminal history and drug activity. We received information that the girls had been seen in the Glover house. 
Nutter receives information that the girls had been seen at this house, at the Glover's house, and they get this information from an inmate in prison. And, like, I don't know why yeah. any of this is taken reliably. Because it's this fucking horrible story that this inmate had seen them at this house at a New Year's Eve party. So, basically, the day after they went missing. Right, right. And they were being, like, basically raped and tortured. And it was all on video. And now there's the idea that this video might exist and that would prove that they were there. Nothing ever comes of this. Well, and it's even more torturous than that because they go through, they search the home, they have cadaver dogs, they found all this meth equipment, no sign of the girls, but they like tested the carpet, the DNA for like blood, to which the labs take a year, year. 365 days to come back. The blood wasn't a match and like it's just, it's torture because they're still holding on to it, right? Like with every lead that sounds crazy and ridiculous, they still have to like, you know, investigate it to the fullest extent. They wait a year. That whole story was rubbish. It came back. It was just all bullshit. It's crazy, but like the thing that they did find when they were searching this property was all of this buried equipment used to make meth. Why yeah. are you burying that? Why are you burying that in the backyard? Because they want to hide it and come back for it. They're like, let me tell you, these beakers, these beakers, sit in the night. I ain't throwing these down the fucking well. Bury them. I'm going to come back for them. Still, the Bible Support Network is solid. The community raises $50,000 in reward money. This prompts a new round of leads, including multiple reports that the girls have been seen alive. So they raise $50,000 in reward money. I fucking hate this. Of course, they get a million leads and tips. And like once money is involved, they're like, we had a tip that they were seen in Mexico and Florida on the same fucking day. I'm like, go sell crazy someplace else. Like people are trying to just find their fucking loved ones and you're trying to like make a cool 50K, whatever. And then we start to hear that the cops are like determined to solve this thing. So they're looking everywhere and they come across this murderer in Texas. His name is Tommy. Lynn Sells and he was on death row for fatally stabbing a 13 year old girl 16 fucking times. Agent Nutter and the newly elected Craig County Sheriff Jimmy Souter drive to Texas to interview Sells. We talked to him for almost six hours before he would even open up at all and uh, and finally he just said yeah I did it. They talk to this fucking psycho Tommy Sells for six hours and he admits it. He admits it all. He's like, I killed Danny. I killed Kathy. And he's like, you know what? Matter of fact, if you take me out in my cool little stripey uniform, because we see the footage, if you take me out to the woods, I will tell you exactly where I left the bodies. I left them on the border between Oklahoma and Texas. We see the footage of him walking dozens of people in handcuffs through the woods, pointing to trees. And they were like, oh my God. And he takes them right to a bone. It was a fucking animal. He didn't fucking do it. All this fucking psycho little piece of shit wanted was more phone privileges and better food. So he took them on a wild fucking goose chase. They thought they had this person. And this poor family goes up and down just thinking they're going to recover the bodies of their girls. And they don't. He's just a fucking disgusting psychopath. I've never heard you swear this much. You're not usually a cursor. I mean, I give give a good fuck you know i give a yeah yeah no yeah, yeah. The, the, the republicans of tinder agree apparently from silly goose fall huh so then in 2005 <laughs> wait do you also know that people who curse are high intelligence levels they have high iqs that's a fact yeah well there's an exception to every rule <laughs> 
So as the five-year anniversary of the murders approaches, they become aware of another guy named Jeremy Jones. And he's a serial killer they have in custody. He's 31. He's a 31-year-old man with a meth habit. He'd been sentenced to death for raping and killing a woman and burning down a trailer near Mobile, Alabama. So it's kind of like a similar MO. And records show that on December 30th, he had been arrested in the area where the Freeman murders happened. And so they go to Alabama to interview this guy. So in July of 2005, they interviewed this guy over two days. And at first, he denies everything. And then on the second day, not only does he admit to the killings, he knows details of the murder that were never released to the public. So, like, he talks about, like, the drug situation with Danny Freeman. He went there to collect a drug debt, and Danny was difficult. So he killed Danny first, and then he killed his wife. And then to destroy the evidence of the murders, he sets the trailer on fire and runs out. And he says that's when the two girls surprised him by also running out. He didn't know they were there. Well, yeah, yeah. No, that he says that the girls were like, help me. And he was yeah. like, he, this story is like detailed. Like it's yeah, all in yes. the details. And then all of a sudden he's holding them at gunpoint and they're all crying because he doesn't know what to do. I'm like, you're going to tell me that you're, are you, do you want my sympathy? And to the point was, back to the details that he knew, he identified the correct accelerant yes. that they use. Like whatever the accelerant was, they're like, so what did you use? And he was like, who's he what, sir? And they're like, actually, it was who's he what, sir? Like what? Also the gun, the type of gun that was used in yep. the murder. He like knew the type of gun. So like he says he ties them up and drives them to this mine shaft like a hundred miles away kills them both and dumps them in this in this mine shaft. And he says that he drives them to a place called Galena, Kansas. Yeah. So they're like, the thing about Galena, Kansas is there's hundreds of mines there. And they don't know that till they get there. So they right. get there and they're like, oh shit. And and not only that, but the way these mine shafts are, they're like above ground holes into like an underground canal system. Yeah, they're so like basically, tunnels. Yeah. yeah, so they're like, if you drop something in there, it's going to float away. So even if this guy could identify the actual mine shaft he dropped them into, they wouldn't still be there. And just as this case is like falling apart, they can't find them, this guy recants the story, says it yeah. wasn't him after all, despite the fact that he knew certain things that only the killer would know. Yeah. So then they go back and they try to like line up this timeline because then they're like, they don't believe his recant. And they were like, okay, wait, if he was arrested at 4.30 a.m. on December 30th, they drove the route that Jeremy said he drove from, you know, the Freeman's house to Galena. That would have taken an hour. He would have had to left the trailer no later than 3 a.m. And they're almost certain the fire wasn't started that early. Right. So now they're like, wait. It's just this crazy what? thing, though, because he knew things only the killer yeah. would know. But then even the cops are like, he probably couldn't have done it. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, I, he was just another, like, I don't, I, they do it for attention or food or better treatment or whatever. So 10 years pass. We're at December 30th, 2009. They have a 10-year memorial, you know, for the family. And the family was really, really torn apart. Like, you know, we hear just, you know, how Papa Jay and Mama Laureen just, you know, couldn't really make their life make sense anymore. Like, that's kind of how it ends. It ends with Mama Laureen's, like, crying. It's, like, basically 20 years later now. And she's like, I have a two-hour commute to work every day, and that's my crying time. And I was like, oh, Mama Laureen. 
Christina. And, you know, she here's the thing. She is a grieving mother. I've done a lot of research on this family. And Mama Lorene, she is a down bitch through and through. She has not stopped searching for her daughter or Laura for the past 20 years. Like, she has not let any false leads. She has not let anything deter her from continuing the search. So here's the break. You know some of this break. Look at you researching. Well, because I've known it. Like, every true crime podcast has covered this case. So I've right. known about this. But there's never been any information. And then till like, suddenly, like, in 2021, there was, like, yeah. actual breaking news. Yeah. So in April 2018, 18 years after the Bibles lost their daughter and her best friend, the Bibles were summoned to a media conference by Craig County District Attorney Matt Ballard. Uh-huh. Now, the police believed that they had finally cracked the case and what they announced there was that charges had indeed been filed against a man named Ronnie Busick. So Busick admitted to being at the Freeman home that night but said he had nothing to do with the shootings or the kidnappings. He stayed in the vehicle. Now Busick, 66 at the time, was charged with acting with two men by the name of Phil Welsh and Dave Pennington who allegedly killed the Freemans and abducted the girls. Now the two men are suspected of the actual murders, but they have since died, Welsh and Pennington. So as part of his plea deal, Busick agreed to help investigators locate the remains of Ashley and Laura. Investigators believe Welsh, Pennington and Busick went to the property that night in question to confront Danny Freeman over debt. Now, this is something that Busick said was, quote, a dumb, dope debt. He told them that the girls had been held in Welsh's cellar for two weeks, which was on his own property, which was only about three blocks from the mobile home that went ablaze. Uh Busick provided the address where he thought they were buried, but unfortunately that search ended up providing no information. So Busick was sentenced to a 10-year prison term on a reduced charge of accessory to murder, but he has so far not led authorities to the girls' bodies. So the two-decade search for the remains of Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman is still very much ongoing. There are updates to the case as early as October of 2021. So if you have any information regarding the disappearance of Ashley Freeman and Laura Bible, please contact the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation at one 800 522 017. Oh, they are working hard on this case. They are not stopping. There are updates all the time. There are tons of documentaries on oxygen, all kinds of things. Let's find these girls say something funny. This is a sad ass fucking story, honey. Listen, grab your sparkle cowboy hat and grab a magnifying glass <laughs> and let's solve some fucking crimes. Nutter Butter is on the scene, baby. Bow, 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 bow. me join us on the patreon every month you get three full ad free bonus episodes and then an extra bonus episode where we don't know we're taking your calls we're taking your questions we're doing an ama we're doing a call-in we don't know we don't know exactly what it's going to be but it's going to be something every single month it is going to be so fun and please connect with us on socials we love hearing from you we are the disappeared pod on instagram you can find us there with all kinds of daily stupidity you can find us on facebook on our podcast discussion group called the disappeared podcast <laughs> 
podcast discussion, discussion group. group. You We're nailed on, it. Thank you. We are on Twitter at The Disappeared Pod. I am Ellen Marsh on Instagram and all of the things. And you are Patrick Hines underscore. And you are precious and a magical dream. And I love you. <laughs> I love you. All right, you guys. We all love right. you so much. Thank we you and good you. night. Bye. Bye. No, what do you make meth with? I don't, I don't know. I've seen Breaking Bad. I still don't know. And it's a woman. She's wearing a wig. She's wearing a ring. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> Please keep that in the outtakes. She's wearing a wig, a great lace front. Oh my God. Please have some respect for the dead. Put that in the outtakes. She's wearing, She's wearing a, wig. a wig. You know what? It's my fault. I threw you off with all the uh-huh. five, six, seven, eight. It is my fault. Uh-huh. I take credit. Start over, honey. Boop. <laughs> honey, five, six, seven, eight. Here comes Steve Nutter, bitch, on the fucking scene. He's going to investigate the shit out of this crime and look flawless while doing it, honey. 